What is social leadership and how does it sit alongside formal leadership? Try, learn, try. A willingness to question and the permission to challenge and be challenged is key. One of the statements I'd still stand by is that curiosity is a defining feature of a, a socially dynamic organisation. Hi, my name's Julian Stodd. Welcome to the podcast. In this series of podcasts, I'm taking a blog post and adding some context around it and also sharing how my thinking has evolved since I wrote it. And today, I want to be talking about stories and specifically a piece I wrote back in 2018, which was called The Violence of Stories. And for me, this represented a a shift in my thinking more broadly, specifically actually, about the social structure of organisations and the nature of communities. When I wrote the Social Leadership Handbook back in 2014, in fact, five years ago this week, then I realised that I used the definition of communities, which was that they are entities of shared value and shared purpose. And since then, as I've gone through the research on the landscape of trust and a big research project specifically into communities, I've come to evolve that definition. I say that some communities are entities of shared value and shared purpose. But the only overall definition of a community that I'm comfortable with is that it acts as a mechanism of exclusion. A community can almost only be coherent if some people are not allowed to be in it. Now, that shift may sound a a little negative, moving away from a view of consensus towards a a view of opposition. But it's really drawn out of that, that research into social structures and also thinking about power. So power can be held in consensus. You know, if you agree with me in some ways, that consolidates and amplifies the power I can use. But very often, power is held in opposition. So you and I can come together to be opposed to somebody else. So the specific mechanism of power that we hold is oppositional. Now, oppositional power is interesting because it doesn't require us to actually have a consensus view. We just have to be absolutely certain that what somebody else thinks is wrong. And we're generally seeing in the context of the social age that oppositional power is becoming more dominant. So how does that all tie into the violence of stories? Well, I did an illustration for social leadership my first hundred days, which showed two towers, two kind of medieval castles, firing stories at each other. They've both got cannons protruding and the word stories is being uh, fired out and, and breaking against the other tower. And it really builds out of that work, the idea that stories, even good stories told by good people, well-intentioned stories, act in opposition to somebody else, either directly by opposing their view or sometimes by either denying the validity or closing down the space in which their story can be shared. So let me read you a little bit of the the blog and then add a little more context around it. Sticks and stones may break bones, but words are allegedly harmless, or maybe not. There can be a violence in communication, not an act of physical aggression, but aggression nonetheless. The violence of vitriol, carefully constructed to cause pain. I was struck by this in a conversation about change, a conversation that moved to blame, fault and tribalism. The stories that we share are backed by power, the power of our position, the authentic power of our lived experience, the power of those people who support and cherish us. 
Some of that power is held in consensus, broadly shared agreement, whilst other is in opposition. Some of the power of my stories may be held in the violence they do to others, and that, for social leaders, is a challenge. So in that, even in this intro, I, I, I talk about power, and sometimes I describe that to understand leadership in the context of the social age is essentially a study of power. I think if you had to distill the conversation down to its finest elements, power would be right there in the centre. And one of the reasons for that is that the social age generally is seeing a rebalancing of power. So historically, power tended to be held within formal systems of government, of organisation, um, structures of imposed consequence and control, whilst increasingly in the social age, power is held in emergent social movements, the rise of social communities, stories that are often rapidly evolving and are deemed to be highly authentic, highly fluid, and crucially, of course, stories that we can invest ourselves within. It seems to be a, a key component of social movements is that we are able to find space for our own narrative within the wider narrative. So understanding power is important, and in my own work I try to look on this in a number of different ways. We talk about uh, structural power, so power held within a hierarchy. It's a legal contractual form of power that can be given to you or taken away, and indeed often our progress through an organisation is marked by being given progressively more power. But there's also reputational authority, that power I was talking about earlier, power given to you by your community, so if I tell a story and nobody listens and nobody agrees with me, I have very low reputational authority. But if I tell a story and many people agree with me and put their weight behind me, then even if I have no organisation and even if I have no legal, contractual, formal power, I nonetheless have great power given to me through authenticity. So there are different types of power and it's important to understand them not as different amounts of the same type of material. It's not just that one is more powerful than the other. They're fundamentally different flavours of power. So you can have both. You could have formal authority and social authority. You could have positional power, but also reputational power. But again, when we translate that back into stories, we see how stories can either agree with or disable the types of power um, that we have. So for example, if you see a group of people described as a gang, as protesters, as insurgents, as rioters, or as a community, all of those collective nouns are value-led. They imbue judgment upon people. So in some ways, they enable or disenfranchise them of power. Let me read a bit more of the article. The organisations that we exist within are good, or at least good on the whole. It's a mistake to believe that there are trolls under the bridge, ogres in the boardroom. Many people are trying to do the right thing, but often according to a local, tribal definition of right. The constrained organisation does not have one version of right and one version of wrong, but rather it has multiple opposing versions of right. In that context, there are no bad people all doing the bad things. We are the bad people. And let me sort of take that piece apart a bit. 
It's something which I've used originally in language with the National Health Service in the UK, which can be viewed as a structurally constrained and opposed organisation, where you have different collections of people holding fundamentally different views. Well, if we believe that constraint is structural or held with others, or indeed held with idiots, then we are limiting ourselves. Uh, An organisation is typically a whole series of coherent social structures, each of which hold a view of what is right that is held in opposition to those other coherent social structures. So in that sense, it's useful to think in some ways of an organisation as constrained not by opposition specifically, but as an entity that holds multiple concurrent versions of what is right. And that can influence how we think about change. If we use these stories to do violence to each other, to deny other people their cohesive truth, then we'll just be rejected. But if we use stories to open up spaces for shared differences, to hear stories of difference and dissent, then maybe we can move forward not by colonising other spaces, but by simply better understanding our difference and indeed finding the broad edges of our disagreement. Let me just read you the last part of this. The humility of social leaders is not just the willingness to hear the things that we wish to hear. It's the ability to hear those things that we don't. The violence in our stories may lie in their opposition to other tribes. If we draw our power by denying that of others, we fail in our duty to fairness in our responsibility to our widest community, and, quite simply, by taking the easy road instead of the necessary one. So here I'm trying to just ground this back into the language of social leadership. Humility is important because it's a mode of leadership that recognises you as the leader do not have to own the story or indeed agree with the story. One of the roles of social leaders is to create the space and permission and opportunity for others to shape and share their story, even when it's a story that you disagree with. The humility is to recognise that your own power doesn't come from controlling the story. It may come from enabling different views to be heard. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but we do have to recognise and respect the validity of those different views. The language about hearing the things that we wish to hear is from a post I wrote quite a long time ago about unheard wisdom. And it it says something along these lines, that it's easy to hear voices that agree with you and say the things that you want them to say. But what we may need to hear are weak voices within the system, voices of difference and dissent held by good people with different truths to our own. And in that context, a socially dynamic organisation needs not to have a landscape of stories that is dominated by one voice, but rather needs a deep capability to hear those weak voices from within the system and to have appropriate mechanisms, both social and formal, to understand the stories that it needs to hear. And that idea of needing to hear stories is the way of diffusing the violence. If we try to control the landscape of stories, we will always be doing violence to others. But if we hear stories we need to hear and can listen to them with respect, and can trade in the currency of reputation around them, then we may find we are better able to hold an organisation with diverse ranges of views, held somewhat less in opposition, but not necessarily in consensus. It's juggled in this kind of fluid space. And it's that very debate and discussion that may give us the strength that we need. So, 
That completes the sixth podcast in this prototype series of six podcasts. I wanted to launch these to do two things. One was to just find a a useful space. So I wanted a space where I could take content from the blog and add more context around it and also show how my thinking has evolved. And as part of working out loud, that's become increasingly important to me. The ability to share the things I no longer think and perhaps to explore my own journey of change in the hope that it will help others in some ways to to, to make their own journeys like that. And the second thing I wanted to do was consider the workflow because podcasts take more time than writing. And I don't want to just add more noise that's duplicating something else. I wanted to see if I can fit this in alongside the workflow of writing and, of course, of of real work. So I'm going to release these uh, into the wild and see how they go. I'll welcome feedback. Do get in touch if you have thoughts. I'll almost certainly do a second prototype series where we'll vary a few factors, assuming we've cracked the workflow, and we'll see where it takes us from there. But thanks for listening.